All right. Good evening. Thank you. And uh, thank you for the kind words. And um, again, the hosts uh, and hostess have been phenomenal and um, definitely enjoyed the special music again this evening. Both of them touched my heart and I'm really happy to be back. I know this is our last night, um, but, you know, we even even after we leave each other's presence virtually, we never need to leave God's presence. So we are going to get right into this. A um, lot to cover again. And pray for me. This is a this is a there's a lot of decision making to be made about this sermon. As I even as I preach it, I'm just asking for God's Holy Spirit um, as usual. I'll read our scripture reading for tonight from Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12. The young person who read this earlier did a phenomenal job. Let me just read it again. Therefore, rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. He knows he has a short time. Our message, our last message for this week is entitled Time Crunch. Time Crunch. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to study your word. Of all the messages we've gone through this week, Lord, I am asking for an extra outpouring of your Holy Spirit tonight. I'm asking, Lord, that angels that excel in wisdom and strength would be given charge over this church as we broadcast live But I'm also asking, Lord, that angels would be dispatched to every home where this is being heard. Lord, I am just a nail on the wall, worthy of no other position. But I do ask that on that nail you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. We're going to jump in tonight in one of my favorite parts of the New Testament, in the book of Matthew. In the 23rd division of the book of Matthew, Jesus uh, goes to task for the second time in his ministry with people in the temple. He is so disgusted by the fact that they're using the temple to make money that he turns over the tables and and really um, uh, brings uh, those inside kind of doing underhanded deals in his father's house, uh, really brings them to task. He stops and he pauses before he makes a powerful statement to say, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And he pines over, had only Jerusalem listened, how he would have defended and protected that city. And as he's walking out of the temple towards the end of the chapter, Jesus says, I leave your house unto you desolate. The disciples cannot believe that Jesus would say such a thing about the temple. In fact, the temple was the center of the entire Jewish economy. And I don't mean economy as in finance, although it was part of it. I mean economy in that everything they believed and did centered around this building, this institution, and all of the activities that happened inside. For Jesus to walk out of the temple, the disciples thinking he would soon become king and say, I leave your house unto you desolate, was mind-blowing to the disciples. 
As he walked out in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 1, the Bible says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to sh- him for to show him the buildings of the temples. The disciples said, listen, Jesus, look at the buildings, look at the stone, look at the architecture. This is a fantastic building. What do you mean it's desolate? Verse 2 of Matthew chapter 24. Jesus said unto them, See not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. I can imagine Peter grabbed his chest. What did he just say? The disciples were in astonishment. How could he say that the temple would be cast down? He's supposed to be the king that's coming just a few days earlier. Palm branches were thrown in front of him. He was supposed to be the king. Verse 3, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Of all the things Jesus does in the New Testament, every miracle is profound. I mean, can you imagine watching him make someone who's never heard a sound their entire life hear again? There's some really nice videos online um, that are heart-wrenching when uh, uh, a young uh, baby or a small child who's never heard in their entire life and they get the right um, acoustic equipment, a hearing aid, and they hear for the first time the smile that comes on their face. Jesus worked miracles where people who had never seen anything in their entire lives and were adults were made to see. So incredible was Jesus's miracles that dead people came back to life. But I want to submit to you that if you really understand the scripture, one of the most important Uh, spiritual gifts that Jesus leaves us with are the prophecies he gives us in Matthew chapter 24 and in Luke chapter 21. And let me explain this. You see, today, when we aren't seeing these uh, incredible manifestations of miracles, some are saying, prove to me that your God is real. And I want to submit to you that it is difficult to do so because we see where people pray and pray and pray for someone to get better in the hospital like I did when my mother had cancer and nothing happened or when my cousin was shot and didn't make it. I prayed and prayed and nothing happened. And there are a lot of people who when this happens, they say there is no God and they walk away. But I want to submit to you that one of the purest forms of biblical evidence of God and of Christ Jesus uh, as Messiah is in prophecy itself. When Jesus begins to lay out these prophecies for them, this would for centuries, especially during the early church, be used as evidence of the Messiahship of Christ. And I want to submit to you that if you don't understand prophecy, young people, you will be far more easily shaken out of God's church and out of a relationship or a belief in the eternal God. 
Some people say prophecy is really not that important. We can skip over it. But the problem with that is when times of trouble come and difficulty come, if you are not anchored in the fact that the scripture can be trusted, if you cannot trust God uh, to have created the world and redeemed the world, you have to be able to trust him that those things have happened. Prophecy allows you to see that God never lies. And so... In AD 70, just as Christ will predict in Matthew chapter 24, Jerusalem falls. Just as he says, the Roman armies circle and it, uh, there is an abomination of desolation that Luke talks about in Luke 21. Of, of, uh, and if you go back to Daniel chapter 9, I wish I had time to do all of this prophetic unraveling for you, but it would we'd miss the points later on in the message. What I will tell you is that if you study Daniel 9, and if you study the prophecies of the abomination of desolation, and then you study what Jesus says here, you begin to understand that Jesus was literally lining things up for them so that when the soldiers came the first time and retreated, the Christians, Christians left Jerusalem and were unscathed by the general Titus's complete annihilation of Jerusalem. To this day, when we go to Jerusalem, and I've been there, and you go to the Wailing Wall to put your prayers in the wall, and everyone is praying, not one of those stones is from the temple that Jesus said would be desolate. That temple to this day has never been rebuilt. In fact, when we look at prophecy, there are prophecies, biblical prophecies that have numbers attached to them that you can go back and you can read in the Old Testament um, when the decree to rebuild Jerusalem was given. Uh, Ezra speaks of it. And when you look at it from 457 all the way through, there are 490 year prophecies. 70 weeks is what it's called in the scripture. It is exact to the time of the time when Jesus is anointed by his baptism by John the Baptist. When he dies, it says the Messiah will be cut off in the middle of the, that last week that is the crucifixion and of course the stoning of Stephen marks the end of this 490 year prophecy it is exact it is one of the reasons I am a Christian because I understand that I do not blindly believe in the God of the Bible God has left if you're willing to turn the pages and study and go deep God has left you with nuggets of truth upon which you can anchor your faith so prophecy is important. I'm a Christian not because I randomly chose this religion. And I hear many atheists attack our, our, our uh, Christianity in general. But I would, let me tell you something. If they were ever to just sit and go through the prophecies of Scripture, the fact that Cyrus's name is called uh, over a hundred years before he enters the scene in the Bible. If you look at Daniel chapter two and the way that all of the empires of the world are laid out long before they came into existence and God is so merciful, the scripture says that the rocks would cry out and you can see that constantly there are new discoveries in Israel archaeologically that back up and support the Bible. The most recent being the findings of more pieces of scripture from books like Jeremiah in the, in the caves where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found oldest pieces of the Bible. And as time goes on, I believe God is going to allow the very environment, the earth itself, to yield up secrets to support what the Bible says as the world begins to head um, more directly and more continually into disbelief. So what does Jesus say to his disciples? Matthew 24 
Verse four and five says, and Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. When Jesus begins to speak about the end of the world in prophecy, the first thing he says is do not be deceived. It is in this area that deception will be birthed. And we'll show you some of that in a second. The Greek word for deceived is the word planeo. It means to be led astray. It's the same word used in the parable of the 99 and one sheep. One sheep was led away. One sheep was planeo. This is telling you that if you're not careful, the enemy will take um, your misunderstanding of the end time events and lead you away. He says, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. I show this a lot. This is an interesting National Geographic um, from a few years back where they had a whole um, um, uh, article on five current messiahs. I think this one is in Brazil. This one is in Africa. And they showed you these false Christs who people follow. I thought it was interesting that the, the, the African um, wannabe messiah drove a taxi cab by day. Um, and then he was like the Messiah at nighttime. But people believe it. it is, it's powerful. So this prophecy has been fulfilled. I could go on and on. In fact, for some of our young people today, you have to understand that the, the way that these false Christs will come are through music and through and through uh, pop culture. Um, my family being Jamaican, uh, I grew up around a, lot, around a lot of Rastafarians who believed that Haile Selassie, the former Ethiopian emperor, was God. Christ uh, come re- return in his kingly character is what one of the reggae singers says. And people all over the world have followed this because of the power of the music. Of course, Jay-Z, we talked about it. He says, I am Jehovah God. I'm seeing his lyric. And Kanye at one time renamed himself Jesus. And, and all of these things happen to, 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 to thwart us into believing. And some begin to follow. And some begin to idolize. Some even begin to worship. These prophecies have been fulfilled. Verse 6 of Matthew 24 says, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. This is speaking definitely towards the end of time. And it is an interesting thing because Jesus says when these wars come, do not be troubled. That is a difficult thing to say. If you are alive at the time when these wars came, did a season of wars come like the world had never known? Absolutely the last century saw the First World War and the Second World War. Um, America got involved with Vietnam and, and Korea, and there was a Cold War. And, and I could go on and on of all of the wars that plagued the last century. And they trickle into this one, of course. But it was a century of war, and many people in the world lost their faith because of these wars. Maybe that's why Jesus says, do not be troubled when you see them. Jesus drills down in Matthew 24 and verse 7. He says, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. He says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. What do you mean? Well, the word for nation in Greek is the Greek word ethnos. It is the word in English, it is the original root for the word we use in English when we say ethnicity. 
It means different people groups more than it means like different nations. And we are seeing, even as we come towards the end of time, there's a rise in ethnic tension. You would think in a civilized world with all of the, 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 the laws that have been passed and all we understand that this would be retreating, but it almost feels to me like it's getting worse. Prophecy of Christ says, that there would be conflict between different people groups. And we can see that to this day. Famine was predicted. You would think with all the technology and wealth the world has, no one would go hungry. But in fact, there are 5 million child deaths per year pre-COVID from famine. And it's probably worse after economies were shut down last year. I could go deeper into famine, but we know that famine is huge. Many people die especially children, because they do not have enough nutrition. Prophecy fulfilled. And again, it is in the context of a time when man could easily feed the entire world with the technology we have. But it's not just that. This is um, wildfires in Los Angeles County, California. You can see it all across the back of the city. There's, a, there's an article that says why California wildfires are getting worse. The world is actually having seemingly uh, more uh, significant natural disasters. And of course, there are those who say this is all uh, global warming and it, and it may, may obviously very well be, but it was again prophesied. Even in Australia, one of the great fires, nearly 3 billion animals were either killed or displaced by the fires that hit Australia. Stronger storms, 40 years of data confirm hurricanes are getting stronger. Climate models were right. Things are actually getting worse, church. The prophecies are being fulfilled. And one of the prophecies prophecy says that there will be earthquakes in diverse places. One of the most powerful of all of these is this graph here by the, uh, by the National uh, um, uh, geologic survey that shows you that when you look at earthquakes between six and eight, deadly earthquakes between six and eight on the Richter scale, how they have increased over time. Even over the last several years, if you go back to 2014 and look back, you're watching an increase in the number of earthquakes and they're in more and various parts of the world. We don't even think about them because many of them aren't even recognized, but the, the scripture prophesied, Christ said there would be earthquakes in diverse places. This isn't Christian data. This is secular, you know, scientific data that shows that something is changing. Of course, the scripture says there would be pestilence. And probably before last year, nobody would really understand what smallpox did or polio did or a um, hundred years ago, uh, the, the flu that was called the Spanish flu, it's, it's a misnomer. The flu was not Spanish. Um, but it was, uh, we've watched pestilences before, but this one is different in the sense that the entire world is impacted and it has repercussions economically. And there are leaders in the world asking for, after this for there to be a great reset in the world. Spirit of Prophecy says this. She says, Satan works through the elements also to garner his harvest of unprepared souls. He has studied the secrets of the laboratories of nature and he uses all his power to control the elements as far as God allows. He imparts to the air a deadly taint and thousands perish by the pestilence. 
These visitations are to become more and more frequent and disastrous. Destruction will be upon both man and beast. The earth mourneth and fadeth away. The haughty people do languish. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Isaiah 24, 4 and 5 from the Great Controversy, page 589. Probably one of the most startling verses in Matthew chapter 24 is one of the simplest. It says that all of this, everything we just talked about, is the beginning of sorrows. If we understand the significance of that, what that is really telling us is that things on earth are about to get worse than what we have seen. Christ is warning us that things are about to get more difficult and he drills down. Right now, folk are just fighting each other randomly. But Jesus seems to imply in Matthew 24 and verse 9 that then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Jesus says that in fact, after all of that, things are going to get worse. He's speaking to the believers. Things are going to get worse. All of the hatred of the world at some point will turn on the believer. It's happened in history. It's why the Huguenots fled Europe. But the Waldenses hid the way that they did. These were uh, religious groups who, who tried to keep the Bible and, and, and follow it as pure as possible. In many ways, that's why even the United States was established so that there would be freedom of religion so people would not be persecuted for what they believe. But there is a time coming when this is going to be escalated, young people. And you young people have a role to play in being prepared. Why? Because the scripture says... Jesus still speaking, Matthew 24 and verse 11, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. In fact, we are told that in these last days, there will be great deception, planeo. Many will be led away. the, The big thing buzzing around today on the internet and social media was, the advent of a new shoe. Um, I think the rapper's name is Lil Nas X. I don't, I don't know him. Don't know anything about him. Never heard a song by him. But it's coming out with a shoe that they're going to make 666 um, uh, uh, shoes and number them. So 666. And these shoes are called Satan's sneakers. In fact, Luke 10 and verse 18 is written on the shoe. And it's going to cost $1,018 to buy a pair of these shoes. I don't care whose shoes they are. I'm not paying a thousand dollars for a pair of shoes. But Luke 10 and verse 18 says, and I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven. I think what was most interesting as I was listening to some discussions about this today, or that Christian set up, is that there are people defending this type of thing, the satanic imagery in the music videos attached to it. They're pushing it. And let me tell you something. When I, when I, when I sat and I listened to, and hearing people say, listen, um, you know, I don't believe in heaven or hell and, and there's no real devil and I believe in reincarnation. That's what literally people were chiming and saying as Christians were making the statement that, you know, this is bad. This is not good that someone is, is promoting Satan this way. And these verses begin to come to mind. You see, in the last days, Satan will no longer hide. 
The scripture even says that he will be transformed into an angel of light. And there will be many who are going to be deceived and literally follow the enemy. Why? Because he will promise them this world. Young people, let me tell you a secret. Satan can give you this world. But if he gives you this world, it's at the price of the next one. He can give it to you. He can make you rich. He can make you famous. He can make you popular. And the devil is happy to give it to you. I remember one of the young people from one of the churches where I was working as a youth leader. He wanted to go to Hollywood and become a comedian. And he was, and he, you know, we, we, you know, I knew the kid from, he was young and he got into a car accident and, and I called, uh, um, you know, after I hadn't been in touch with him for a little while and I said, are you all right? I heard you got in a car accident. Um, he said, I, I said, he said, yeah, I'm fine. He said, when I crashed, I prayed to Satan. I said, you, you prayed to who? He said, I prayed to Satan. Satan is leading me in my career. And so I prayed to him to keep me safe in the accident. Raised in the church. Planeo. Of course, he never became a rich, famous comedian. But I don't even know what happened to his spiritual life or his soul salvation. Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. I'm trying to show you this, young people. What we see going on in the world today is very specific. You would never imagine that in a civilized nation, um, we would have seven mass shootings in seven days. Over the last 10 days, we've had seven mass shootings. Five of them didn't even make the news. You have to go online and look up the other five. Two of them made the news, one in Atlanta and one in Colorado. Isn't that incredible? Seven mass shootings, people trying to kill multiple people at the same time in one shooting event. In this one, in Colorado, 10 people died. The police officer who rushed to the scene to try and help and was killed first has seven children. I remember working in California, in, in Bakersfield, California, and I was work, I was at a time I was a medical director of a clinic where I, I did the wound clinic and I ran the urgent care. And we got two patients, one in the urgent care, one in the wound clinic, who were in a mass shooting in Nevada, uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. And some of you may remember. I, I might. I think it might even be on here. It might be one of these big, big, big blips up here. Um, and this, these two women, are told the story of what happened when this mass shooting broke out. Someone was shooting from up in one of the hotels. And if you've been to Vegas, they're big hotels shooting down at a crowd during a country music concert. At first, people just thought it was some kind of a joke. Fireworks were going off or something. But one of the ladies said she started to see people get hit and drop and blood start to fall from them. She got up and began to run. And then she did. She stepped into a hole and twisted her ankle and it hurt. But she kept running a mile down the Vegas Strip to another hotel. Turned out she broke her ankle significantly when she dropped it in that hole. And from the adrenaline, she ran a mile on her broken ankle. The other lady was shot in the back by this uh, perpetrator. I, 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 don't even know who, I don't even know who did it or anything about it. He got, she was shot in the back. The bullets were like military grade bullets or hunting bullets and a huge bullet. I saw the wounds. I took care of the wounds. They went through the back of this person through her kidney, blew out part of her kidney, part of her intestines, through her even some of her female organs and out the other side. 
And what I guess you don't get, when the Bible says the love of many shall wax cold, there are people who want to see nothing but destruction and terror. And then let me tell you something, no one group of people has a monopoly on folk that will do this because the love of many has waxed cold. And often what we don't think about are, are the traumatic side effects of this kind of stuff. Young people, and I know this is, this is some, some heavy stuff, but young people, I want you to understand that the world is not your home. This is not the way God designed us to live, where we're in fear of going to the grocery store because someone might shoot it up. This is why time is short, because a God of mercy would not leave us in a world so cold, so heartless. And this is the increase in, 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 in um, mass shootings. In fact, they said last year the COVID stopped the mass shootings. I read an article that said last year was one of the deadliest years recorded in the last 20 years for gun uh, violence and gun deaths. It just didn't make the news. Matthew 24, verse 9, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another. And shall hate one another. The truth of the matter is, we will soon be blamed for the world's problems. I, I, there's a lot more slides. I'm going to skip some of them. But just read this from the Great Controversy, page 590. And then the great deceiver will persuade men that those who serve God are causing these evils. All the calamities we just talked about. The class that have provoked the displeasure of heaven will charge all their troubles upon those who, whose obedience to God's commandment is a perpetual reproof to transgressors. It will be declared that men are offending God by the violation of the Sunday Sabbath, that this sin has brought calamities which will not cease until Sunday observance shall be strictly enforced. And those who present the claims of the fourth commandment, thus destroying reverence for Sunday, are troublers of the people, preventing their restoration to divine favor and temporal prosperity. We're starting to see that already. A Mississippi senator says, if you, if you have voting available on a Sunday, you, you, you offend God. There are those who say, because of climate change and the pestilence, it's time for us to have a new Sabbath the first day of the week should be reverenced in order to protect the environment is what uh, others are saying, to protect the family, to bring the world back around. Nations like Poland have already passed some very strict Sunday observance. And so they are already you're in a place where soon and you can see from what they now call a cancel culture. You can already see that it would not take much for you as a believer to be quickly ostracized. And let me tell you something, ridicule is a powerful weapon. Ridicule of your beliefs in God, of your belief in a seven-day Sabbath, it is a powerful weapon. Remember, Peter, Peter, he, he didn't give up on God uh, when, when the armies came and he had to fight. He pulled out his sword and fought. But when a little girl said, hey, he was with Jesus and they seemed to want to ridicule him, Peter folded like paper. And I'm challenging you that if popularity is what you're looking for, if you want to fit in with the crowd, if you want to be followed by the masses on Instagram or, or wherever it is that you're, you, you have social media uh, presence, I'm telling you that you have got to become prepared to, to, be, to live a life separate from the acceptance of the world. 
This is why the Bible says here, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Something happened and the devil was no longer given access to heaven. He was cast out. Revelation 12 and verse 10 says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And look at what verse 11 says. It says, And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. This is how we know this event of, of locking Satan out of heaven for good happened at the cross. He was permanently locked out. Some folks say, well, he was tossed out before the world began. Yes, but clearly he was locked out because it says in verse 11, how did they overcome? They overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. To death, These three things, young people, are critical. If you understand prophecy, these things are critical. First and foremost, you must have righteousness by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, one of the other, one of the other reasons I'm a Christian, unlike most other religions, Christianity's God comes looking for you. Christianity's God does the work for you. You can't work and save yourself in Christianity. Every other religion in the world, if you follow what they say, you'll be saved. Christianity is different. You cannot make it into the kingdom unless you are covered by the blood of the lamb, unless his atonement, his sacrifice is applied to you. And when that happens, the second thing happens, young people. You get a word of testimony. You have an experience with God that you can share with others. They overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. This is how it's so, this is how powerful it is. When you share what God has done for you, it empowers you to overcome. Christianity is the only thing that when you give it away, you get more of it. My Bible gives this very eye-opening last statement. And they loved not their lives unto death. Revelation 12 and verse 12, our scripture reading says it like this. Therefore, rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. The devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knows that he has but a short time. Church, young people, we are in a time crunch. It's funny, the devil knows he has a short time, so he's busy working to destroy all of us. That's the only way he can get back at the Father. The only way he can get back at the Creator is to have us be lost. That He knows that that will pain our Father. He knows he has but a short time, so he's working as hard as he can for our destruction. But here's what's deep. We who have even less time than him in many ways act as if we have all the time in the world. I've heard many young people say, you know, I, when I get older, I'll, I'll, I'll turn my life over to Jesus. Let me have a good time first. But young people, tomorrow, it is not promised 
to anyone. Luke 21 and verse 27 says it like this. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. I tell you, I am ready for Jesus to come. When I look at this world, the difficulties, the tragedies, what in this world is worth staying here? Jesus says, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? What is so valuable? What car? What house? What title is so valuable on earth that you'd give up eternal life with a loving Savior for this earth? I can't wait to see the Son of Man coming with power and great glory. Luke describes what Jesus says this way. When we see all the things we see coming, all the horrific things, all the calamities, as we see them one after the other after the other, I want you young people to understand these are signs like road signs that tell us our redemption draws nigh. Jesus is about to come and rescue his own. And Matthew 24 and verse 13 says it like this. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Christianity is not a sprint. Christianity is cross-country running. It's a long race. And I like this. One of the reasons this is so profound is really what Jesus is telling you is it's, it's not that you won't fall. It's not that you won't make mistakes. It's not that you won't trip. What he's saying is that you'll endure, that even when you fall, even when you fail, even when you don't do all things right, even when life gets difficult, you will keep your eye on the prize of meeting your Lord and Savior in the clouds one day. You will look forward to the reunion that is set before you with our our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You will endure. You won't allow the devil to hold you back because things have not gone perfectly right. You will endure through the trials. You'll push through the trials. A just man falls seven times. And rises every time. And I'm bringing this to some of you young people because you feel like you've done so much wrong that you can't come back to God. I am here tonight to tell you that you must endure. Your father is waiting for you. I'll close with this story. One of my favorite sermon stories is from the country of Armenia. Uh, we, We walk into... A kitchen, and there's a father and a son there. The father and the son are there, and the son is finishing up his breakfast. The father's about to walk out of the house to go to work uh, not too far from the house at the factory where he works. As the young boy sees his father leaving, he wants his dad to walk him to school. And so he jumps up and pulls on his dad and says, Dad, walk me to school. The father says, Son, you know, I want to hurry up and get to work. You know, I... The son pleads with him, Dad, come on, walk me to school. And the father says, all right, come on, let's go. We got to walk fast. And he starts walking. The son is so happy trying to keep up with his dad as he, he's skipping through the streets on his way to school that morning. So proud of his big, strong father walking him to school. 
When they get outside of the school, the father says, okay, son, I got to go. Here you are. You're at school. You got your lunch. You go on inside. The little boy says, daddy, before you leave, I want you to promise me something. And his son's name was Armand. Armand says to his dad, he says, dad, promise me that you'll come and pick me up from school today. The father says, son, I, you know, I might have to work late. You know, it's difficult to, the son pleaded him, please, daddy, please, daddy, promise me you'll come and pick me up. He said, all right, son, I'll tell you what, I'll skip lunch. I'll work through lunch. I'll be here to pick you up after school. I promise. Armand goes skipping into school. He's so happy. His father walked him to school and is going to come and get him afterwards. The father begins to walk the rest of the way to work. He makes double time. He gets to work. And as he's working a few hours into his shift, the ground beneath him begins to move. The building begins to sway. If you've ever lived in California and lived through an earthquake, you know it can be quite frightening. Things begin to fall. Windows begin to break. And the father runs out of the building into the street where it just, it doesn't last very long, but it seems like it lasts forever. A mighty earthquake hits and buildings begin to collapse and and screams are heard and, and cars begin to crash and the whole place comes apart. As he watches the destruction and aftershocks begin to hit, he thinks that he left his son at the school and the father begins to run back to the school where he left his child. When he gets there, the building is a pile of rubble. Parents have already begun to gather outside weeping, crying for the loss of their child. This father will not have it. And so he begins to measure up. He looks for any, any um, landmarks he can find. He climbs up onto the rubble and he gets over the spot where he thinks his son's classroom is. And he begins to pick up pieces of concrete and he tosses it aside. Bended steel and he tosses it aside. Scraps of glass and he tosses it aside. As he begins to work, one of the police officers in the area come by and say, Sir, get down from there. It's not safe. The father asks if he would help. The police ignores him. The father picks up more debris and tosses it to the side. A few hours later, the rescue teams begin to come around. They say, sir, this this building is so badly damaged that we won't come back to this for a long time. Just to look to see, uh, just to pull out the bodies. You should come down from there. It's not safe. He asked them if they would help. And when they shrug their shoulders, he goes back to work picking up the pieces of concrete tossing them to the side. Eight hours later, when some of the parents come back around, they say, what are you still doing up there? Are you crazy? Get down. They're all dead. But he doesn't stop. He picks up another piece and tosses it to the side. Twelve hours later, he's still there. Twenty hours later, he's still there. Twenty-four hours later, hungry, tired, Hands bleeding from touching the debris. He's filthy. He's weak. He's still there, picking up the pieces, tossing them aside. 36 hours later, about uh, uh, to reach his breaking point, barely able to stand, the father picks up one piece of concrete and he tosses it to the side. And as he does, he looks down and there's a a darkness, like a cavern that he sees. The father yells into the hole, Armand, Armand. A little tiny voice out of the darkness yells back, 
Yes, daddy. Father says, son, are you okay? He says, daddy, I'm okay. Uh, And he says, and the father says, give me a hand. Let me pull you out. He says, daddy, no, wait. There are others down here with me. My whole class is here. We're all alive. He says, some of us are hurt and we're all hungry, daddy, but, but we're alive. He says, son, give me a hand. Let me pull you out. The little boy says, no, daddy, get the others first. I told my classmates not to worry. My daddy promised me he was coming to get me. Church, I know this world seems terrible. Young people, it may seem difficult, but the prophecies of Matthew 24, Luke 21, Revelation, Daniel, all of them culminate to tell us that Jesus is coming, that our daddy is coming as promised to rescue us from this war-torn, broken world. I challenge you, young people, do not give up on God because it is just as the prophecies are succinct and true. He is coming back. There's a time crunch. And at the appointed time, he that shall come will come and he will not tarry. This is the great hope of our Christianity. Jesus said, I am not of this world. So guess what? When you become in Christ, neither are you. You're just a pilgrim, young person. You're just passing through. And your daddy is coming to get you. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word and your prophecies. There's a young person out there, Lord, who feels alone and rejected, neglected, maybe even have been abused. Lord, I pray tonight that these prophecies would remind them that their heavenly father is coming to get them. There are others, Lord, who are confused over what's going on in the world. They, they can't make heads or tails and they don't know what to believe. Lord, remind them that you've made a promise in your word and that your word based on the 490 year prophecy, 2300 year prophecy, that your word is sure that when you say that you will return, that you will return. Father God, for those who think that they can't make it, Lord, I pray that they would remember the promise of Matthew chapter 24 that says that if you can endure to the end, you will be saved. That is a promise, Lord. And I ask that every young person who is listening would make up in their minds to endure, to stay the course with Christ. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.